So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson. What a wonderful 2018. It is gone, by the way. 2019 is right here. And I want to welcome you in to the new year. And if you are serious, I mean absolute dead serious in living that sunsets and palm trees cash for life, then guess what? You are in the right place. I promise you. I have spent my entire career in real estate. I've started from scratch. Um, I am nothing to, um, you know, I'm not too proud of myself. I've worked hard. I've made lots of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes. (laughs) Um, But I've managed to figure some things out. And I've managed to do this wonderful thing that I call apartment life and living what I call cash flow life. And uh, I just wanted to give any encouragement to anybody listening right now that if you're, if you're you know, a, a, a doctor, a dentist, a, a working professional, you're tired of the hustle and grind of everyday work and, you know, you want more, um, you're in the right place. You know, if you're a wholesaler or a fix and flipper or in, in doing single family deals and you want to not do that each and every day to start from zero, you're in the right place. Um, I created this podcast because I want it was my way to give back, to leave enough breadcrumbs so that you can find your way in this crazy thing called multifamily apartments. All right, so we're getting ready to start episode 57, and it's uh, the University Crossings case study. This is going to be part two. Um, before I get there, though, I want to give a quick little shout out to my favorite little thing, which is our, which is iTunes reviews. So Budget Ballers, Budget Ballers, November 20th left me. The information you get from Corey is top notch. Take every bit he gives and save it because it's 100% real. Once you start, you won't stop, and you can't. I can't wait for the next podcast to come out. Hey, uh, budget ballers, <laughs> I love it. Thank you so so much for that five star iTunes review. Um, it means a lot when you guys get out there and you give me reviews. Any review is okay. I don't care if it's five stars, three stars, two stars, or if you just downright think I suck, that's okay too. But uh, I do appreciate it when you actually take the time to get out and leave a review. I think we have 104 reviews total total, uh, currently. So that that does mean a lot. It means that you guys are paying attention and um, I'm engaging enough to make you want to go out to iTunes. So thanks a lot for that. 
And um, as a gift, as a gift for anybody that's listening right now, we're talking about new decisions, new things that you want to do. If you have not done so, you've got to go down to Kahuna Wealth Builders, kahunawealthbuilders.com. And uh, on the first pop-up that comes up, download or opt into my quick start workshop. This is a great video series that you're going to get of how to find deals, how to raise private money. Um, it's really juicy. I actually have a lot of bonus videos that I give out. And I think you'll really find that a great place to start your journey. Um, and we, you know, we want to get to know you. We also have a Facebook page. Um, so if you want to get on our, our, our Multifamily Legacy podcast page on Facebook, leave uh, any questions that you have there. We, we look at that and we will answer any questions that you have in the multifamily space. So in last week, we were talking about like kind of the ups and downs of real estate, how it doesn't always go right. And, you know, um, there's a lot of things that happens that you, that, that's truly out of your control. And, you know, we try to control as much as we can. And so uh, on this week's episode, we're actually going to dive in now, actually being under contract and what happens after you, you actually sign the dotted line, you get, you get something under contract. And what can happen then? Because just because you get one under contract, you open up um, escrow, you put your earnest money, you are not out of the woods yet. There is a still a lot of moving parts that happen inside a multifamily real estate transaction. And there's lots of ways that it can still get screwed up. And, you know, I'm not trying to scare anybody here. I'm just trying to be honest with you because real estate, this multifamily game, it's um, it's just it's just different. It's a lot of fun to play, but so here's what happened on University Crossing. So we go under contract now. Every time when we go under contract, one of the first things that we're going to do is we're going to establish um, a site visit. We're going to go do our due diligence on the property. Now for us and for me, I normally spend around ten to twelve thousand dollars to do a due diligence. I bring a team of people. We show up. We're there for usually between three to five days. And what we do is a complete physical inspection. So we're checking all the major um, uh, things with properties, HVACs, roofing, electrical, plumbing, um, exterior, you know, roofs, everything. We're just checking everything that could go, you know, all the major systems with a property. And then we're also doing going inside each and every unit. And we're rating not only just the unit, but the bedrooms and everything else. So, like, you have a, you know, um, if it's a two-bedroom place, you're going to rate each bedroom. You're going to rate the kitchen. You're going to rate, rate the living area. And, you know, they all, we have ratings from A, B, C, and D, right? D is like they're down. They're, they're not good. And then, obviously, A is great. B is not bad. C needs quite a, you know, needs help. And D, it needs, it's down. It needs a lot of work. And so we go into each and every building. So that's that's one of the steps, right? The other thing that we're doing is a financial due diligence, a financial audit. And so this is more has more to be with being inside the office and then opening every lease jacket. Now for us, we try to, we are paperless. So we want to scan in every item. So we scan in every lease that we that is that that is on file with the current company now let me back up for just a minute 
we don't even go to due diligence, right? Until the seller has delivered all the required items on our purchase and sell agreement. So remember we have the LOI, we have our LOI that talks about here's all the things we want, which is like tax records, bank statements, um, financial records. I mean, we, we have a big list of items that we are asking the seller to give us. And now this is a big little secret. It usually doesn't start, our, our due diligence does not start until they have delivered it. And not only delivered it, but we have to sign off and say that they have delivered all items. And that's very important. Why is that? Because sometimes sellers get seller's coma. You're going to help me talk about seller's coma a lot in this, this episode because I swear, it's, it's happened to me on the last three deals where the sellers are unmotivated. And so by, by what I mean by that is that it, they've got to start, they got to give you all, the, all the, the details. And man, people, that is like some, for, for some operators, giving all the details is like pulling teeth. And why is that? Because they're probably not good at record keeping. Um, a lot of times, you know, some some owners that are like self-managing, they're horrible record keepers. And so they have to really go out and try to find and dig this. And it is a, I mean, a tough job for them to get all that information in. So that's that's kind of a process in itself. And it's not always the greatest for them, right? So it's, it's like pulling teeth. The other thing is that sometimes sellers are reluctant because they're hiding something. You know, and so we, we you know, just like uh, tax statements, you know, tax returns. We had one seller wouldn't give us a tax return. We're like, listen, we're not going to buy it unless you give us a tax return. Why? You know, well, you don't need my tax return. Well, what are you hiding? Right? It shouldn't be a big deal. I, I give for tax returns when I sell my properties. No, not, not a big deal. Not a, not a big issue. So whenever a seller is trying to withhold, um, and this is like basic data. This is really... We are when you're buying a property, you are buying its income stream, and we are there on due diligence to make sure we understand what we are buying. Not only from the physical building, what is the how is the uh, physical property, but also what is the financial health of the property? Are people paying? Do they you know how many tenants do they do they have that are non-paying tenants? Right, they're just sitting there. That happens a lot sometimes. So our goal is to really, end, but we don't even start that due diligence process until they have delivered us a signed statement saying they have delivered it to the best of their ability. Now, sometimes we'll let them slip on a couple of different items and they just can't really find them if they're not that material. But they still have to, and we make them. We don't ever request this, by the way. We are very patient, right? Remember, the whole process, the way we do it, we are very patient um, buyers. We are not in a rush. A, I'm always, I'm already starting to raise capital, so I could use some a couple extra days to help me raise capital. I'm in no hurry, right? Um, and so, when you got a seller that's dragging, we just let them drag. Right 
Now, there'll be a point where we're going to probably, if we got most of the items, let's say we have 99, 98%, 90, maybe 97% of the items that we really, really need, we'll go out and actually do the due diligence. So we'll go on site. But guess what? And we are still not in our due diligence period. You know why? The seller has not given us all the items and have not made us sign that document. And so we've went on a property before where we were like 20 days into it. And now we use this as a bargaining chip because a lot of times if you've got most of it, we'll actually, then we'll, we'll set up a time. We'll go do our due diligence. But if they've not signed off on it, the clock has not started. And so you may be able to gain an extra 10, 15, 20 days by not having your clock start. Now, is that worth something? I think it is, but we, and we never ask them for it because in our PSAs, our purchase and sales agreements, that's where that, the verbiage is there. It's their job to understand their attorney should have said on this date, you have to deliver this. We don't, we're not going to say, Hey, are you going to give us that, that paperwork? Get a sign off on it. No, <laughs> no, we don't do that. <laughs> we let them just keep on keeping on. And you know, that's how you kind of stack the chips in your name, in your in your favor. So on University Crossings, they uh, we go through our due diligence reports um, process, and we're there. And actually, we're there. Um, I show up with um, two of my partners that were doing the deal with me, uh, Sean Terry and Corey Boatwright. And they're actually going to be on the next episode, right? So episode 58 will be Sean, uh, maybe it's episode 59, um, that you'll be on Corey and Sean are going to give their perspective of what happened on our site visit. Great, we had great stories, man. Great stories. So we we show up there, and um, first of all, they're in awe, right? Because like this is a good deal. It it really is. It looks and feels like you have a nice building that's pretty dang new, and then you have this one older building. So you're like, okay, that's the one that we're going to do all the work on. Um, the the two buildings that are um, the newer ones. Well-maintained, well-kept, not a very many bad units. You know, about the only thing that we really had to do was some termite stuff, and it wasn't that bad. We had multiple vendors. I remember, so here's what happens on a site visit. It's like it's like a, a big army shows up, about you know, 10 to 12 people of our due diligence team. We show up, and we first we got to establish our command center. Now, I love this. Usually it's in some you know spare room or spare part of an office or an office building this time we were in the um the gym that was small little gym at the office and so we moved all some equipment and then all of a sudden we set up our command uh, tables and then all of a sudden all the laptops get up we go get power and power cords and power strips and we make sure that our wi-fi is turned on and i mean we got it we get rolling right and it's kind of a neat thing. And, uh, you know, we all get together and it was like search and destroy. And because we've been doing this for such a long time, we, everybody kind of knows their job. They know what they're supposed to do. It's like setting up one guy's getting the cords. One's guy's getting the tables and all this stuff is kind of like miraculous happening. And then all of a sudden everybody's starting to work. We're calling up vendors. We're, you know, we're calling up multiple vendors to come do our inspections, right? So we want a, a roofing inspection, the HVAC electrical. We are hiring outside contractors to come in and look. 
And so, but even how we deal with those people, right? So um, Mike Heckman is, is in charge usually of my due diligence. And one of the things that I love what he does is when we ask these contractors to come in, we're saying, hey, listen, right? We've been around the block a little bit. Okay, you're not going to fool us. So let's be smart. But what we want you to do is look at, like this is for an HVAC person. We want you to go look at all our HA, you know, HVACs, that's our air conditioners, right? And give us a true assessment of what is the general feel of uh, them, right? D d and how many needs to be replaced right away? We want your real honest opinion. How many are, are uh, up to be, you know, that you think are going to go down in a year? What is, the, you know, is any like handyman hacks on them? You know, is wiring done improperly? You know, because sometimes maintenance guys, maintenance techs can start like bypassing circuits and trying to, uh, you know, make these HVCs doing a handyman hack job. And we want to know, right? And so, but it's with the intent of, but do not think we're stupid. And we'll know, right? Because we've been doing this a long time. And so then we send this guy out and then he's doing this work and Honestly, he's doing it for free because he's hoping that, you know, we will then fix any of the deferred stuff. And we're asking him for a do not exceed bid. Meaning, if you're going to err, err being conservative, make sure you give us a bid that you do not have to come back and ask us for more money. But we're holding you to it. We want you to be fair. We want you to be upfront. And, we, you know, we don't want you to to think that you're just going to get rich off of us. And by and we give each and every vendor those same instructions. Now, why is that important? Okay. Now, I always like saying in a negotiation, everybody goes in with a gun, but no one has any ammo. And But the ammo is in the room, right? And you get the ammo from the other side. And so as we're having our uh, vendors go out and they're doing all these reports and certain, you know, we're finding all this ammo. <laughs> hey, you've got this many HVACs that are down or that are, that are almost dead. Do you think that we can take that back to the seller? If we have real data with bids and a professional contractor saying, hey, you know, these roofs are at the end of their life. Like they, they are, they're not, you, know, you have maybe one or two years left on these roofs. Is that material? Well, hell yeah, it is. So, we, you know, we would take information like that saying, hey, listen, you said, you know, you're selling this property. We are um, under the opinion that you're going to give us a, a regular you know, property that doesn't, that doesn't have deferred maintenance. You have a roof that's at the end of its life. You're going to either have to fix it yourself, but we are not going to come into this deal with a, you know, two to $300,000 CapEx item that you're going to try to sweep under the rug. No, 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 no. Right? So we'll re- um, negotiator, the word for it in multifamily is called retrade, right? So we're going to retrade those types of items, okay? So we go through this whole due diligence period, and guess what? The property is shaking out to be a pretty good little property, right? And so we leave the uh, property after, I think, I think, four days. We're there four days with this is going to be a really good asset. I mean, and at this property, University Crossings, I mean, it is absolutely right across 
the street. You guys have heard from the last podcast. It's right across the street. It does not need a whole lot of work except for the one building and a great location. And we're coming away from the due diligence saying, man, this is pretty good. Now, we left the property with it being at around 88 or 89% occupied. Now, in a regular normal transaction, right, you have our 45-day, 45 calendar days of due diligence, and then we have a 45 calendar day of um, to close. So that's like, what, 90 days, right? Well, we go in and, you know, by usually about 20th day, we finally, we get like our reports from um, the due diligence that we did, and everything look, is looking pretty good. And it's at this point that now we have to start, we have to engage a lender. Okay, but we have to get a loan for these properties. And normally, right, so normally on anything that's less than 90%, you cannot get a Fannie or Freddie loan. To get the best type of financing, Freddie or Fannie, you have to be at 90% occupancy or better. But sometimes you can get a, a, an exception, right? So we had gotten an exception on this property because we were already at 89% occupancy okay and it's not just occupancy it's also the financial health i mean your financial occupancy needs to be around 89 percent like you need to, you need to collect most of the money and i think i want to say that number is really 90 percent 90 percent collections okay like getting real money in the till and so we were right on the bubble with this property because it was like kind of touch and go but we're like hey I, you know we think and we believe that you guys, if you guys will maintain this place, we can get our Freddie and Fannie loan. And so that's what we said. We're like, okay, it's great. It's you know, it's it's at eighty nine percent. Now we get this property under contract during like March. So we got March, April, May, right? And then June, July, August. August is you know when school starts. So we're going into now close to like June. I want to say it's June, and normally we'd be we'd be ready to close. But here's what here's what happened. So here's went what went wrong on University Crossings. So we we secure our financing with Freddie. We you know put twenty thousand dollars for an application. We start the process a couple weeks before we are getting ready to like get into our closing period. We're we're asking the seller to give us the latest financials, right? And we'd already started ask, requiring this information, but it, it was all of a sudden it didn't seem to show up. It was getting really slow in showing up. We're like, what's going on? What's going on? And so um comes down, they're, they're like 86%. They'd let leases go and not released. And they were at 80, 86% occupancy. Well, guess what? We had an exception to 89, but not 86. That is now putting our loan in jeopardy. And so we're having, we go back to the seller and say, listen, guys, by your guys not keeping the status quo while we're under contract, you've now failed and screwed up our financing for this property. Now, this is not a contingency, but we're still in our due diligence period at this point in time. We're not past our due diligence period, okay? And um, so we can f- 
we could feel like we had power at this point. And that is a, we'll call it leverage. We had leverage at this point, and leverage, my friend, is very, very vital to being a good operator, okay? And so in that leverage, what happened was this. Uh, the seller was totally willing to give us what we needed. Thank God, because we, we needed to have an extension. So we asked for an extension on the property. Now, normally, uh, they're not always so happy to give you extensions, right? A lot of times they don't want to give you um, longer than like you know, the 15 days. We need 15, we'll give you a 15-day extension. And we had to go to them and really just say, hey, listen, 15 days is not going to do it. What we really need is like 30 days. You got to give us at least 30 days because we need you to correct the problem, right? We need to get to 80. And so the first step the, on this for this deal is like, hey, listen, what we need to do is just get up to 89%. And they're like, yep, we'll get to 89%. That's fine. Well, guess what? They didn't. And I'm telling you, this is where I call seller coma. Right, the seller is checked out. The management staff—they don't care. Sometimes they pull uh, staff away from the property, and now the, they're great. You know, sweet, bad—you know—leasing uh, person is not available or gone or, or at another property, and like hell in a handbasket has come to town. And I swear, this is like it happened. It's happened on the last three deals that like seller coma is real. So now we're in a conundrum because at this point now we're getting we're getting now we're still in kind of our due diligence period. So we 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 come to that point, and they still haven't got it. They have still not gotten our the 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 financials correct in order for us to qualify for a loan. At this point, we are now cutting that whole process, and we are now looking at what's called a bridge to perm loan. Right, totally different loan, and you don't have to have eighty percent or a ninety percent occupancy or eighty nine, which is what we got the exception for. So, but but with that comes what does it come with? Right, it comes with you got to put in new uh, application fee, right, twenty four thousand bucks, and actually on this one it was like forty thousand dollars, and because it's a higher risk loan, and not only that, uh, it's a little bit more expensive. Not only that, <laughs> um, it's going to take another full 30 days to get this one done. Oh, my gosh. So we're sitting there thinking, oh, this is a problem. Okay. Um, we finally negotiate with the seller. And now, at this point in time, though, now I believe we are past our due diligence phase, right? So we're now hard and we're up to the point where like, guys, you have, and we're trying to make the argument to the seller saying, this is not our fault, this is your fault. You are not at the same level when we first started, right? And we could probably maybe win or not win that argument. Like that's not the case. But so in this, so here's what happens, right? And I want you guys to pay attention and write this down, at least in your mind, okay, is that 
there is no greater, I think, lever sometimes when you when you now. By the way, let me back up just a minute. I am not negotiating this stuff. Okay, so let you know this right. As the owner, don't ever try to negotiate with a broker or with a seller, right? That's just, it's not the way it's supposed to be done. Use your management company, use somebody else other than you to negotiate on your behalf. Why? Because they are way much more powerful than you are. You need to act as if you're the owner or the don, okay? You want to sit back in your chair, in your office, act like you're the owner. And owners don't get involved in too much of the stuff. Okay, you have your minions, call it your minions, <laughs> to, to go out and do all that work for you. So they're negotiating all the emails. I very I know I get CC'd on all the emails and all and communications, but I'm usually not the one talking. I let people talk for me. Now, the only time that Corey Peterson talks is for one or two reasons. Either I got to play bad cop or you have to play good cop, right? It's one or the other. And um, I don't like to play bad cop, right? And you only play bad cop when you when you have so much leverage, so much leverage. And honestly, it's better not to ever play bad cop, right? And sometimes you have to play what I call deal maker. you got to be the deal maker. And so on this particular case... What was happening is like we are already, everybody's frustrated at this point now. We've had two extensions, um, really on because of the seller, right? Not because so much of us. We're ready, willing, and able to buy the property if we can get funding. And that is a, um, a direct component of them not having it leased up properly like they did when we first went under contract. Because when we first went under contract, they were at like 92%. And they went from 92 all the way to 88 to like 86 and it wasn't going to get and it wasn't looking like it was going to get any any better so at this point in time we're trying now to get our third extension okay by the way on one of the extensions we just exercised so on our second extension we just exercised the uh for 20 grand i get a 30-day extension so we exercised 20 grand like boom that one's on us right so now I used my kind of get out of jail free card. There's no more extensions. And to get this third one, it is now, so the seller thinks that we cannot buy the property. Now the broker knows us, right? And we've demonstrated that our, like, our efficiency, um, we actually even sent a representative from our management company to there to verify because we were having such a hard time with communications, and this happens a lot. When the seller's management company is is not communicating with us. I don't understand why, but like, and, and maybe it's just because we are on it. We're, I mean, we are on it. That they just don't want to talk to us. I don't know why, right? And like, they don't want to give us the reports that are standard reports, like give us our current rent rolls. And so here's what was, the problem was, is this was a student housing project it is now August, and what we were asking for was for pre-leases. How many pre-leases do you have? Now, what is a pre-lease? It is a lease for a unit that is not ready yet. So it's got to be like kind of signed or like something document because it's not an act. It's 
pre-leased. Now, just because now what they were counting were approved applications as a pre-lease. And the reason we see in, in, in the student housing, the word pre-lease means, hey, listen, you've got to have a lease signed for the next school year, right? How many, because they all come do it like one time and it's just a lot of, lot of units. And so you've got to, You've got to make sure that you have this process. And banks are lending money based on that because that's the one time in the year that everything happens and it's got to happen right. Okay. And so this is this is a weird time. And the seller was not, they were lying to us. They were absolutely lying. We sent, because we couldn't get a right, we're getting like different answers from everybody. We sent a representative to the property and they're like, they don't have anything. These are not signed. These are not pre-leases. These are approved applications. Well, approved applications don't mean a whole lot. Like, they don't mean a whole lot at all. And so that was a problem, right? <laughs> now, we still think this is a good, great deal. And it is a great deal. But at this point, you know, we're like, okay, we've got to get the seller to give us one more extension because we are now going from a Fannie loan to now what is called a bridge to perm loan. That's going to take another 30 days, but truly 45 days, 45. It takes really 45 days to close any stupid loan. Okay. So one of the tactics you'll you'll ne- you'll need to use when you get to this point. This is when you put on your deal maker hat, and then you call the broker. We call the broker, and now I didn't call the broker. My representatives, my management company, called the broker with, and I was on the phone. But we said, "Hey, listen, we need to request. We want to request a phone conversation with the seller." And like he had, on, you know, we had to give him the whole story of why. And, and a lot of times. You have to have a story. You have to understand the angle and you're framing it up in the right way. So the broker can give the story back to the seller and make it make sense. He's good. The broker's got to believe in it. So you can go back to this. So he can go to the seller and arrange it and get us all in play. Okay. That's what we're doing. So we're like, Hey, listen, here's what's going on. It's this, 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 because he's not giving us, they're not releases. Everybody's saying they're releases, but I'm telling you, they're not. We've got a person on the ground. And so, and the bank's saying, we want this. This is the bank requesting this information, not us, right? And right now, you guys are not giving us your information. So, we are, we basically, we get on the phone. And now, here's why, it, one of the most important things, I think, to ever say when I said, write this down, is that you've got to communicate to the seller that you want to buy the property. Now, what I did is I said, listen, uh, the you know, to the seller, like, listen, I think that you want to sell the property, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now on this phone that me and my company, we want to purchase your property. We are not trying to find a way to get out of the deal. We want to buy it, and we want you to to know that we are in pursuit of trying to buy your property, but we need some help because of this, this, and this, and this. Right, we're going to agree to this, right? So, one of the things that he was really frustrated with is like, he's like, well, if we let you come in 
And because he didn't have all his units rent ready. And the school year was coming upon us. He was planning on having this thing sold to us before the new school year. Well, that was the case because he didn't have it or it was set up right. And so um, some of that, he had some def- down units or def- you know, to make these some of these units rent ready to rent up for the new school year. It was going to require him some money to get them rolling. And so he was fair. So he said, hey, listen, we will give you the extension, but we would really like for you guys to give us a $20,000 concession because there's going to be some cost of all the new lease-ups. Well, that was easy. So we get, we 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 gave that away. Now, normally you just say, Corey, why did you give it away? Because you didn't, you it wasn't your fault. And the question, the truth is, I know. I know it's not our fault, right? But man, I'm telling you, there's it is a finicky line between sellers and and, uh, and attitudes and uh, like and posturing. And you know, at the end of the day, we want we'll make more than twenty. We're making millions on this property when we're done with it. It's important that we just take it to close and and get everybody going in the right direction. So it was an easy uh, show of goodwill to say, yes, we'll, we're okay with giving you a credit of $20,000 for the cost. Can we just get all this done? And so we get the extension, right? Get the extension. Everything's going pretty well, except now here comes the curveball, okay? Everything, and now everything in our powers and the seller's powers, we are now, we are both on the same page. We have the right loan in place. Um, everything was looking good in our opinion, except for a week before we're ready to close and we have all the money raised, all the money's in the bank. And then the lender says, guys, there we have a problem. The lender, not us, not the seller. The lender says, we are not ready. What do you mean we're not ready? We've had like a more. We had more than forty-five days on this property with this current lender, and it was like, what in the world is going on? We'd already knew that we need probably needed forty-five days, so we had started negotiation before we were, you know, at the end of our last um, extension. So we, you know, we had about fifteen days left, and we knew that we weren't going to be able to hit the mark. So we started negotiating then. And still wait until the very end. So we weren't like trying to throw surprises or grenades. <clears throat> so we get to this property, or we're getting to this point now. Now everybody's just like, what in the heck's going on? Again, when these types of problems happen, it's it's critical to have a story, right? And so now we gotta go back to the we have to go back to the broker again. But before we go to the broker, what do we do? We requested like all this documentation from our lender. We actually went up almost to the president of Arbor Financing and we got them to send us a letter saying that they had screwed up. They had one of their junior uh, persons in their office. He went on vacation or something. He, he just dropped, flat out dropped the ball and had not got the processing done like he was supposed to be doing. And they totally admitted that it was their fault and that, um, you know, that the loan looked good. Uh, they were going to accelerate the whole process, but they were still two weeks away from truly being able to close the loan. Now, that two weeks seems like an eternity to a seller who is now, at this point, counting his money. 
And so we have to go back to the broker and we provide all this information, all this data, say, guys, listen, this is not us, right? And again, it still takes another phone call with the seller and with us. And now at this point, understand where the leverage is at. It is not in Corey Peterson's favor, okay? We are screwed here, okay? At this point, we have maybe $250,000 of earnest money that is hard, okay? Meaning we cannot get it back. We could try to, but the chances of that probably really happening, very slim. And we are two weeks away from supposed to be closing, but we're not gonna be able to close because the lender needs more time. They're saying they still need two weeks after what we're at, right? Because they had truly, truly, someone had fell asleep at the wheel. <laughs> Don't even ask me how that happens. And so, I'm sorry, and we're, we're a week away from closing, right? This is when all this is happening. And it's like, oh my gosh, what do you mean? Like, are you kidding me? Get on the call with the seller. We explain everything. It's like, listen, this is not in our control, right? You know Arbor. You know, right now they're having problems with their processors. And it just so happened that the seller was buying another property and was having problems with Arbor 2. Praise God. <laughs> because truly, what if we didn't close on the day that we were going to say that we were going to close, right? The seller has the full right to say, I'm walking away and give me all the earnest money. They didn't close when the contract said they were going to close. And even though it wasn't our fault, it was our lender's fault, there is no out. So like, it's important to make sure you've got good players on your team. And even then, it can still go sideways, okay? So at the end of the day, he finally agrees. He gives us our two weeks extension. And guess what? We own another wonderful multifamily property called University Crossings in Columbus, Georgia. Georgia, great asset, and it now is uh, starting to produce cash flow. Right? It's not. It's not going to make a lot this first year because we are now inheriting all those those uh, leases that were made in uh, August, and a lot of times those are year leases for the whole school year. So. We're now coming up to uh, our spring semester, which we're going to try to get some more leases for spring. And then we're going to try to do all the repairs to that older building so that by next fall, we can have everything rent ready and filled up completely. And not only that, at least we'll get to that 90% threshold where we'll get our full leasing um, uh, fanny loan that we need that will give us um, a better rate and will give us uh, interest only, and will give us a long-term loan as well for 15 years. And that's what we're looking for. Um, that is going to be the uh, a great, great property for us, and it'll start cash flowing really well. And um, again, so so guys, there is University Crossings Part One, Part Two, and uh, next week you're going to hear from Sean uh, Terry and Corey Boatwright. And me, we're going to all be together, and we're going to talk about this property. And I think you're going to find it's a really neat episode. So it's a lot of fun. And telling some of the stories that we, that we that they saw, 
because that was their one of their first really big multifamily deals. And I'd brought them in to come from the very beginning with me on the on that property journey because they wanted to learn uh, how I do the multifamily thing. So um, I thought it was really educational. Uh, hopefully, this series has been really educational for you. So um, with that said, we're going to end this this part two. Part three will be next week. Um, as always, guys, you know, it's a new year. Gosh dang, what a great time to set some new goals, to set some new ways of doing things and new ways of thinking about things. Don't go for the short money. Go for the long money, man. Go for long-term apartment life, cash flow. Just do it for the cash flow. It takes a little time to get. But, dude, when you starts coming in month and month for work done one time, let me tell you, that will change you. It will change you forever in a good way gives you more time and money because most of us are searching for those two things time and money let this year be your year make some decisions to be great go out there and pursue it because if you believe it you can achieve it and your paradise is possible